Welcome to the Refuge Project. The Refuge Project is a place that we can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. We are your host. I am Pastor David. We got James. Hey, hey. And a special guest, Pastor Ron. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad <laughs> to have you here. We're going to talk a little bit about the 100 years of Elam. We got a, what about, what, three and a half weeks away? Yeah. Man, I'm t- three weeks from next Sunday. Three weeks from next Sunday, and we're super excited about all the stuff. Pastors wrote a book, so we've asked him to, to drop by, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, um, I'm excited about it. You know, I have some, I guess everybody in this room has got some roots that go back a little ways. Uh, so I'm learning a lot, you know, learning a little bit about some of the, the things in the church so when my grand, grandmother and stuff started uh, coming over here. And so... It's been pretty cool for us. Yeah, I'm yeah. seeing a bunch of those pictures out in the yeah in the hallway, and I'm remembering people, and then I'm getting everybody telling you know everybody if they see me walking by those photos, they got to say something about boy Stacy and uh, Pastor Ron. They sure do look alike. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Is that Pastor or is that Stacy? Yeah, and you have to say <laughs> you have to go. Ha, ha, that's the first time I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the memories out there are the felt boards in Sunday school class. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, oh, yeah. a lot of people don't remember those, but uh, it's because we do everything digital and stuff now. But uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how's things going? Things are good. I've been busy. I got. Um, let's see. This is this can come out this Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I've got. I've been working on that um, local Palooza event that I'm putting on on Saturday. So yeah. I've been busy doing all that stuff. So that's this Saturday. Yeah, this Saturday, Burt Crenshaw Park, gonna have music gonna have art my wife will be there selling ceramics and all cool. that kind of stuff got a food truck my uh I, I don't know if i told you but yeah i had a food truck guy that i was like he does barbecue right and uh i i said but he's he just started the food truck thing so he's only done like maybe one or two things where he set up his trailer and uh sold barbecue um but he said he was down to come and yeah he's all excited and everything and i and i was telling people while we're planning stuff out, i said i'm pretty sure he's going to cancel or something's going to go wrong cuz he's just one of those guys that i was just like it's something's going to happen yeah and uh so yesterday i was talking to another guy who's been helping me out with stuff and uh originally this guy's parents were going to bring a food truck cuz they had just got started one like a taco truck selling quesadillas and that kind of stuff and uh, but they were waiting on some paperwork and this and that, and I was like, "Well, I'll work on getting somebody else, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens." So then I got the barbecue guy, right? So now I'm talking to the other guy that's parents were supposed to do it, and I was telling him like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure this barbecue guy is going to cancel though, or something." <laughs> and then we decided we were like, "We'll just have both of them come out because I think we're going to have a pretty solid crowd." And so we're so I text the barbecue guy telling him like, "Hey, we're going to have another truck there, and uh, that way it'll take some to load off of you." And da, 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 da. I think we should have a good crowd; it'll be good. And he texts me back, and he's like, hey, man, I just got some bad news this morning, actually. Uh, they were moving our trailer last night, hit something, da, 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 it's got a crack. Go. I don't think we're even going to be able to make it. And I said, ah, it's too bad, man. We'll, we'll see. Let me know if something changes. All right. And so then I hit the guy up again, and I said, yeah, the guy that I said was going to cancel just canceled. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I said, it's all your parents now. So man, It's tough, man, when you put those uh, you know, shows on because you're, you're relying on so many different yeah. people 
to have something great come together. And, uh, you know, we put on many, many shows and it's just so stressful because you have this vision, right? Yeah. And you want to play this vision out, but you have to rely on people. It was something like, uh, Pastor Mark was talking about this, this, uh, Sunday where, you know, teamwork is a dream work. You know, yeah. you have to have people around you that can come through. And when you have those flaky ones, man, it's tough. But I think it's been great though for me with this particular event because all the bands and all the people that are, uh, all the different artists and vendors that are coming out, they're all just super excited about it. And they're like, Hey, what can we do to help? What, what do you need? You need this, you need that. And so it's been, Actually, pretty nice. So to put a time stamp on it, just to make sure people, if they're listening to this before or after, give me the time, date. Yeah, yeah, so stuff. it's April 30th, Saturday, um, at Burke Crenshaw Park at the Pavilion there. And um, it's starting at 1 is when I'm advertising to start. I think the first band goes on at one thirty. It's going to, and there's like five acts total. Um, my Me and Ben, Eucalyptian, we're going to play. We're going on at like 6.15, if I'm not mistaken. So it's going to go from around 1 in the afternoon to like 7 or so. Cool. Um, Come out. Great music. It's going to be lots of artists. It's going to be cool. It's going to yeah. be fun. It's going to be a good day. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Pastor, you're, you're just uh, moving and shaking, writing books. And how's life for you right now? <laughs> well, life's good. Yeah. I don't about know. About to turn 80? I don't know about uh, already turned eighty. Are you just I don't turned know 80? about moving and shaking. You know, my tummy shakes a lot. <laughs> so you just had a birthday uh, in December. Yeah. yeah, I turned eighty. Eighty years old. Down uh, at the Monument Inn, it was a big shindig. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. That's, that's what. I, that's yeah, right. I forgot cost about me that. a couple of thousand dollars <laughs> to feed all them people on your birthday. On my birthday, Man. he's a giver, y'all. Don't well, you I, know? No. I just, I decided I wanted to throw myself a party, and I did. Yeah, yeah why not? Yeah. It gets expensive. We're, we're we're planning my parents' fiftieth anniversary. Mm. They'll be married almost fifty two years, but with COVID and everything, we couldn't have them a party, and yeah. my dad being sick and stuff. So we've been real careful oh, about wow. that. So stuff. you've been waiting for that? Wow. Oh, I, I wrote it off, but my mom is not letting me write it off. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna get a small group together, and man, it gets. It gets getting expensive quick yeah 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 those uh those nice restaurants they they don't like to give that food away. yeah right but boy sure. i'll tell you what now monument inn is a place to go they they do a great job with that always know when it's the first of the month when the social security check hits <laughs> and all those things because i see my parents they you know they'll put their the little you know nicer clothes on like uh, where y'all headed monument, monument inn, inn. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's yes, funny sir. that's funny well, let's just jump right into Culture Corner. Culture Corner. Mm. Every time Caesar's not here for this to rap, I'm always like, oh man, Caesar's not here rapping. Right? <laughs> you want me to go first? Let's go. All right. So, the title of my uh, my Culture Corner says, uh, Archaeologists in Turkey have discovered the largest underground city in the world. And this was published uh, a couple days ago, actually. So they just discovered this underground city um, in uh, over in the Turkey area. So far, it has 49 rooms in it that they've discovered. Um, it's got places for worship. It said it had let's see uh, worship altars, storage silos, water wells, all that stuff. That's and, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and it's dating back. They said it's been dated back uh, 1,900 years. So, like, almost 2,000 years ago. Wow. So, this would have been, like, right after 
This would have been in like the first century, basically. And um, yeah, the uh, the people that discovered it, um, a lot of them, they're speculating that this was probably a spot where a lot of Christians went because um, this was back the time that they're dating it back to is when uh, the the church was like, you know, people were getting killed for being Christian mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And they said it was pretty common for them to have their own kind of private hid away places to live. So they're thinking that there was a lot of people like that that was living here, just anybody trying to escape the law, I guess, really. Um, but, yeah, they they think they've only discovered, um, I believe it's, they said 3% of it. Wow. Um, so they're thinking it's huge. And if it's as big as they think it is, it would have been able to hold 70,000 people. Wow. Which is bigger. The last biggest place they found like that, I think they said it could hold like 20,000 so, um, so Joe yeah, Osteen 20. don't have nothing on this. Joe church. Osteen isn't even in the ball game, man. <laughs> and this is all underground. This is the mega churches yeah, before so, so mega they, churches were cool. They had cisterns, you know, sewage <laughs> systems, and all that kind of stuff wow. under there. So it's pretty crazy. So they have this new technology. They're flying this uh, land sonar technology where they can fly over on uh, land now, and they can see through like vegetation and different things. And they're they're discovering a lot of these uh, ancient cities. Mm. Uh, another one that they found was uh, there's uh, a whole city under the Amazon forest. Oh wow! Um, oh, actually, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So what they're they're finding out before the Amazon forest was even there, there was a city there, mm-hmm. and it was a destination for people to come from around the world and live there. So what they're finding is a lot of the vegetation in the Amazon. What makes it so unique that it's not from that area? Mm-hmm. That some of these people that have came in have brought vegetation from other parts of the world and it just took off in, in that atmosphere so the, i think that you're going to start finding a lot of different uh you know ancient cities and different things like that being discovered with the new technology and stuff that they're well, especially having. in the amazon it makes sense because it's so dense with all the vegetation yeah and i mean if you leave something if you don't touch a piece of ground around here for a year you know things get yeah. Going all over, and imagine. Yeah, don't cut your yard for two weeks. See yeah. what happens. Imagine, you know, however many hundreds of years or thousands. Yeah, you know, and it's in the Amazon, <laughs> where yeah. things grow like crazy. Yeah, they're they're finding all kinds of cool stuff in some of these ancient cities and stuff, and and I think it's cool. Like before to find this stuff, you had you know archaeologists out there with a pick and a and a shovel, and they're trying to dig. Time through to stuff. do it in turkeys. Yeah, and now they're just <laughs> flying over, and they, they can. You know, spot this stuff from thousands of feet up and and, and dial right in, which I think is real cool because when you when you look at that and compare it to our faith, that a lot of things that people try to say are not true and they deny, they're going to start finding a lot of this, you know, older stuff that's really going to tie in a a lot of our faith and saying, okay, now try to deny this Mm -hmm. when the ancient writings and and fossils and different things like that are going to be able to be discovered and it's just going to tie everything in. And when you look at it as a bigger picture, all this stuff is beginning to happen when we feel like the end of times are coming and things are going to begin to probably speed up and roll a little bit faster and the enemy's going to come in and try to deny things. But at the same time, the Lord's going to come back and all this stuff is going to come back together and tie everything in together. And, and, um, people are going to have to make the choice at that point. I mean, all the evidence is going to be there. Uh, the gospel is going to be sent out all over the world. And, um, I think that's when 
in my opinion, there's going to be no denying that God is real, Jesus died on the cross, and we're going to have to make the decision to accept it or not accept it. But there's not going to be any like, oh, was he really? Is is it really real? No, it's going to be evident that Christ is real. And then there's going to be people that's just going to deny it just because they don't want to be a part of it. Uh, and I think that's the exciting part of it, that everybody will know. Every, every knee will bow, and you will know that it is real, and you have to accept it or not accept it. So, yeah, Pastor, you got anything to say on that? Well, I think, uh, you know, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is overwhelming yeah. already. I mean, people deny it, but it's undeniable. I mean, uh, Luke said uh, it was proven by many infallible proofs yeah. that Jesus rose from the grave. I talked about that in our Sunday school class yeah. a little bit Sunday about the resurrection. People say, well, why do Christians uh, celebrate Easter so much? Because it validates everything that we believe. If Jesus had not risen from the grave, uh, like Paul said, we'd be of all men most miserable we would still be in our sins Um, what we preach is not true but he said christ is risen yeah and that proves everything all you need really to prove anything in a court is one reliable eyewitness but paul said hey wait a minute he was seen by the 12 apostles. He was seen uh, by me. (laughs) He was seen by 500 people at one time. And there's no no doubt whatsoever about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, that validates everything we believe. That's the foundation of our faith. If somebody ever asked me why I'm a Christian, I'd say it's because of the resurrection. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, we'd have no, we'd have no hope of salvation. Yeah. We'd have no hope of a resurrection. But He is risen. That's right. No one before, no one after. Absolutely. Right? So, Absolutely. Uh, so He is the Messiah. So people, they either receive it or reject it now. But that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Um, not an animal uh, story. I know. I didn't find any good Man, ones. I'm telling you, I don't animal. just seek out the animal ones. <laughs> just a lot of times that's the good one. There wasn't any good animal ones this week. So I got some super current, uh, a super current story. So okay. as of yesterday, which is today is Tuesday as we're recording this, as of yesterday, April $44 billion deal went down uh, or Elon Musk. It got accepted? Bought Twitter. Like yes. officially? Because last I heard, they rejected it. It officially went down yesterday. Wow. Uh, Twitter was worth uh, $42 a share. He ponied up and paid $52 a share. Yeah. Um, and um, I think this is important. Um, if you if you look at Elon Musk, is a, is a strange dude. He's super smart. He has a lot of things going. He's sending rockets to space. He's doing electric cars. Um, but I begin to think about this. So I watched a few things 
read a couple of things and people are saying like he's only buying this to really uh, propel his brand, right? To propel Tesla, SpaceX, and whatever else he has his name in, but I don't, I don't see it because he's already he already has those spaces. He doesn't need Twitter, you know. He's already been able to put his stuff out there. But I begin to think about what he says um, about why he's going to Mars. And then the other thing I thought was pretty interesting, and I'll get back to the Mars thing in just a second. Other thing that I, I thought was interesting is um, I was watching this video of uh, people that live in communist countries and like billionaires. Yeah. And they were saying like after billionaires get so big in these communist countries that the government ends up stepping in because they're making too much money. They're, they're creating a, a, a name bigger than, bigger the, than the, government. the government. So they step in and a lot of them have ended up missing or dead or things like that. And then the um, uh, government begins to take over that company and acquires it as funds for revenue for the government, right? Um, so people were thinking, well, maybe he's doing it for that reason. You know, maybe he's doing it because he thinks like America's getting closer and closer to a communist country. So he wants to be able to take one of the biggest news outlets that's out there right now, not CNN, not the New York Times. Twitter is the biggest news outlet and there they are throttling back the th- throttle, throttling, throttling. Yep. Nice. Back. Uh, the conservative view. I mean, it's uh-huh. it's out there. I mean, Donald Trump was our president, and he's not even allowed on Twitter. Um, so a lot of people are thinking, you know, that and that kind of tied into what I was thinking about why he wanted to go to Mars, and the reason that he wanted to go to Mars is that he wanted to save humanity because eventually he thinks that Earth is going to consume itself. Uh, We're just uh, a meteor away from, you know, uh, destroying itself. So I think that his ultimate goal is humanity. Like he wants to take this to Mars to save to save the human life. Right. Um, And I think that another one, as far as him in his thoughts, not a Christian thought because he's not a Christian, but saving Twitter because it's the the right thing to do for humanity, to have free speech, to, to be able to go and say that um, what we should be able to say in a free country. Um, and then when you're worth almost, you know, a trillion dollars, yeah, um, that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like if you think you can save humanity mm-hmm. and you have the money, why not do it? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, for him, I think uh, a lot of people – when they talk about him, they they seem to think they seem to talk like he's got this hidden agenda for this, and he really did this because of this other reason. Um, but I think I don't think he's that plotting like that. If you ever listen to any kind of interview with him and hear him talk about things, um, like I think exactly what he said is what he's trying to do. So when he talks about like I'm going to buy Twitter because I think uh, I think free speech is important. I don't think it's happening on there, and it's such a big outlet. It's got to be. You need free speech there. I I think that's exactly what he's trying to do. Right. I think it's humanity. Like humans should be able to have say and do what they want. As long as you're not 
um, directly causing people to have, you know, uh, bodily harm or different yeah, yeah. things like that. Um, I mean, I think that you should be able to do it. I mean, I, I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna have uh, hate speech, listen. If you have it, there's repercussions to those things. You know, people are not going to buy your product. People, um, they might come out and catch you outside of a restaurant (laughs) and beat you up or whatever. Those things tend to happen. So what we are doing right now is we're called nerfing the world, right? We're making sure we put these little nerf things all over the, the sharp edges and we don't, we don't let nobody get hurt. Well, Mm -hmm. we're, what we're doing is we're taking away pain, which, Pain helps us know, hey, let's not do it next time. Yeah. You know? Um, so. Man, you guys are getting way deep in all this <laughs> stuff. It. My goodness. You I can, know it. I, I can say one thing. If he thinks he's going to save the world. Yeah, he's in. He he don't know what he's talking about because there's only one savior, and that's Jesus Christ. I agree. And this this world is on its way out. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and, and for him and it's Mars. Jesus, yeah, he can be on Mars if he <laughs> wants to, but I want to be right here when Jesus comes. That's back. what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Uh, we must make a difference. Goodness gracious. Where's the... There we go. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, no, I like that he's doing it, though. Yeah. Uh, I, think he's a, I think he's a good dude, and he's trying to do what he thinks is right. Gen- like, with whatever he's doing, with his space stuff, with his electric cars. Like, I think he's trying to do what he thinks is right. And so... And he's got the money and the resources to do it. And I like that he's spending his money on those things. And, uh, you know, like... Go ahead, go for it. I think it's funny <laughs> yeah. that uh, so he had to go to the court, you know, to come up with forty four billion dollars. Yeah. You know, you have to mm-hmm. put things in place. So he goes to all of the banks, you know, all of the the major banks yeah. in the world, and say, okay, this is what I want to do. Uh-huh. I'm I'm going to need your backing. I'm worth it. He yeah. don't have forty four million dollars in cash, yeah. right? I mean, he just doesn't. It's all have in his stocks. Forty four billion. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's all wrapped up in stocks and different things like that. So he has to go to the bank, and so. All the banks were like, we're behind you, except the two that are already working with Twitter. Oh, that's funny. They're just like, now nah, we're out. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not surprising. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Isn't it that. funny that rich people don't spend any money? They just borrow all their money? Yeah. Which is crazy. Well, you know, that, that's the thing. So, um, so what they do is they keep all their money in stock. Mm-hmm. They draw a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in, you know, salary. Mm-hmm. But then they borrow against their stock, yep. so they don't pay taxes on it. Yeah, because really? if it's in the yeah. if it's in the stock market, you haven't you don't have to pay taxes till you take it out. So yeah. you leave it all in, leave so it you all don't in, pay borrow taxes it. on it, and then you're, and you so just you're, borrow money. So your interest rate is lower than your tax rate. Yeah, it's crazy. Man. So this is how rich people stay rich. You just gotta get you just gotta man, get I that lump sum. <laughs> <laughs> if you had money, you would. Uh, yeah, but I had any. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh goodness! All right, well, I got a song for you today. This is "Be All Right." Evan Craft, Danny Goki, and Ready Me. There's a name that can silence every fear. There's a love that embraces the heartache, the pain, and the tears. Through my faith and my doubting, I know one thing for sure. His word is unfailing, his promise secure. 
Todo va a estar bien Everything will be alright Whole world's in his hands Your whole world's in his hands In the darkness and the trials He's faithful and he is true The whole world's in his hands Todo va a estar bien Oh, 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 oh Everything will be alright Oh, oh, oh mm, yeah uh, Father, you say everything's gonna be alright But my circumstances say I won't last through the night I need your word to hold me now, I need you to pull me through I need a miracle, a breakthrough, I need you They say you hold the whole universe in your hand But my world's falling apart like it is made of sand Am I small enough to slip through the cracks? Can you take my broken pieces and put them back? Give me faith, you believe you are on my side Open my eyes and see you working in my life Let the past remind me you'd never fail And tell my soul it is well oh. Y todo va a estar bien Everything will be alright The whole world's in his hands Your whole world's in his hands In the darkness, in the trials He's faithful and he's true Your whole world's in his hands Y todo va a estar bien Everything oh, oh. Padre te confieso a corazón abierto Que todo es muy incierto en este desierto Mi vulnerabilidad está al descubierto Siento que mi barca está muy lejos de su puerto ¿Por qué será que ya no sale el sol en mis días? ¿Por qué mis noches son tan frías? ¿Por qué será que siento que me falta algo? ¿Por qué este camino gris se siente tan largo? Sé que está sobrando aunque no te sienta Sé que está sobrando aunque no te vea Sé que voy a salir de esta odisea Sé que voy a ganar esta pelea Sé que va a cesar esta marea temporaria Que en ti yo viviré una vida extraordinaria Y aunque no pueda entender Me consuela saber que Todo, yo sé que Todo va a estar bien Todo va a estar bien All right, that's Be All Right, Evan Craft, Danny Goki, and Ready Me. Danny Goki was uh, American Idol, one of the American uh, Idol winners, and he, he uh, started off leading worship in his youth group. And uh, he's really never wavered the music that he's done. Uh, when he was, when he was uh, under contract with uh, American Idol, He didn't do Christian music per se because I guess they probably wouldn't let him do Christian music, but it was all super positive. Yeah. And then once that contract ran out, he went straight back to doing uh, Christian music again. So I thought it was pretty cool that he didn't get wrapped up in the the industry like yeah. a, a lot of people do. I didn't know you'd sign contracts with American Idol. Yeah, I think the last, I think the top five, you're locked in. Yeah. Yeah, you're locked I mean, in. Make, it makes sense. Yeah. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna build you up and do all that, and then uh-huh. you know they're gonna they're gonna make their money back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, very cool. A hundred years. 
100 years. How long you been here out of them 100? All of them? <laughs> <laughs> Just about. Well, <laughs> no, I've, I've been here. Uh, Half of them, huh? Well, 80. That's, uh, but, but I was gone for about seven years. That's when, uh, you know, the Lord called me to preach and things, and that's another story. But actually, my my great-grandmother was one of the people that, that was in the, the group that started this church in 1922. Her name was um, Mary Ray, but everybody called her Molly for some reason. And uh, she lived here in, in Magnolia Park on around Harrisburg and the boulevard there, and that's where the church got started. And that was uh, Anna Mae Ruth Manning was not, the first. Yeah, it's not Ruth. You know, I, I don't know where that got started, but uh, her name was Roth. Roth. An, Anna Mae Roth uh, was her maiden name, Anna Mae Roth, and then she married this fellow named Manning. So okay. it was Anna Mae Roth Manning, yeah. So – how how um prevalent was it to have a a woman leader at that time in in church i know that's kind of a big deal right now people are kind of debating should mm-hmm. women lead men and all that but you just if you just take it back to the 1920s mm-hmm. right yeah. like women didn't even lead their homes much less did they even leading. vote at that time i'm trying to remember when that happened i'm not yeah I don't, that's a good question I don't think they could. um but like it wasn't it wasn't abnormal for a man sometimes to treat his wife like one of the kids if she needed to be checked he might backhand her or whatever but for her to be leading a whole group of church members yeah you know that's been a debate for a long time uh, among churches Um, like as far as I know the Baptist church they do not ordain women as pastors and so forth it's okay for them to be uh, doing everything else in the church, but you know, for some reason, they they will not ordain uh, women as pastors and so forth. And there's a lot of churches that are like that, um, but you know, the Pentecostal kind of movement has not uh, gone along with that because you know, the Bible says He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh and. And your uh, handmaidens, they're going to prophesy and and so forth. Uh, so God doesn't look at at folks uh, uh, like you can't do this because you're a woman. I, I don't think so. Jesus Christ was the greatest champion for women's rights uh, that ever lived, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, so anyway, I, I don't know. You know, she was an evangelist. Uh, I don't know that she was really uh, uh, a pastor, you know, uh, per se, but she was an evangelist, and the church started after uh, after she was preaching on the street corner over there on uh, Harrisburg Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. That's just an interesting thought. Like, I mean, you have this debate, but— if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't sit in yeah. here a hundred years later talking about all the great things that, and we'll get kind of get into some of those that um, that this church has, you know, have done. Um, so, what what is your like earliest memory of, of the church? 
Well, you know, as a child, uh, however early you can <laughs> you can start remembering things. I, I remember things that happened here in the church when I was five years old. I, I do remember that. Uh, but anyway, my roots, you know, my roots go back to, like I say, to my great-grandmother and and then my grandmother, my daddy's uh, mama, she was part of this church, and and she brought some of her children to this church. Uh, my aunt Melba, Melba Turner, was my aunt, my daddy's sister, and she kind of grew up in this church. My daddy didn't go to church much uh, until he got saved, but, uh, you know, my relatives were part of this church. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you, you're talking a lot about females. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, that's true. Back then, uh, I mean, most of the leaders were were women. <laughs> the men didn't come to church too much. And I was looking at uh, looking at a picture. Uh, you can't really tell this one, but uh, yeah. some of the other pictures, it was mostly ladies that were in these pictures and and moving and, yeah. and doing things in the church. A lot of a lot of women. Boy, they were the ones that. Were the prayer warriors? That's for sure. Yeah, I remember that. I remember my my, my grandmother telling me about uh, prayer meetings and stuff yeah, that absolutely. she attended. Your, the, the, your grandmother and my mother, they were part of that prayer group, man. Yeah, that was a vital part of the, the this church. Right. Yeah. So moving from the 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 dirt floors under a tent, we finally got into a a structure, a right. building. Um, what was the, the first name of the, the first church? Well, they decided to call it Magnolia Park, uh, Pentecostal church. Well, this was before my time. I mean, yeah. I've, I've just done some research on it. And Great, book, Great book, by the way. Great book. Thank you. Well, learned a lot. Uh, you know, my cousin Ray, uh, helped me with that a lot. Uh, he, he's into ancestries and stuff and he found yeah. out a lot of this information that, that I was not aware of. But, yeah, um, they were in this uh, little church building, and they called it Magnolia Park uh, Pentecostal Church. And then I tried to do some research. When Pastor Kitson became the pastor here in 1938, um, they moved over to uh, 67th and Avenue Inn, and I think the church building was already there. I was wondering if they built that building or if it was already there, but I talked to my brother about it, and he said he thinks that building was already there, that they they bought that building, and they changed the name of the church to Houston Gospel Tabernacle. So uh, to your knowledge, was it a church before, or Uh, was it just a building they converted to a church? No, it had to be a church building because it was definitely built as a church building. As a matter of fact, that building is still there. It looks uh, looks better now than it did when we were there. Uh, whoever bought it did a, did a lot of uh, uh, renovation, and and it looks real nice. What is it? Is it a church? It's a church. Wow. Yeah, it's a Pentecostal church. Wow. A Hispanic Pentecostal church. And yeah. I'll, I'll almost be worth uh, having him come over for our 100 years, you, you know? know? I hadn't thought about that. Uh I have never met the gentleman, but I, I've been by the church several times just to look at it. Yeah. And it's still there. Do you know the name of it? 
No, I, I don't Something know. Espanol? Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, man. But, maybe but that's t- interesting. I might try to go by there and see if I can meet the fellow. Yeah, meet him or at least get a number we can make contact. Yeah. I think it would be cool for yeah. for him maybe even to bring his board or something over here. And I hadn't just, even thought about that, but yeah. that's a good idea. Dave, it's an idea guy. <laughs> yeah. We just got to make it happen. Um, so there was... And and I don't I don't want to like skip over a bunch of these pastors and different things, but early on, before really Pastor Kitson, there was several pastors that kind of did a, a, a year stint or in and out. Um, yeah, I was I was looking at that, and uh, <clears throat> the first sixteen years, there were I think seven pastors, and most of them only were there for. Maybe a year because uh, one of the pastors was there for nine years. So if one pastor was there for nine years, that means in seven years they had another six pastors, I yeah. think. So some of them only lasted a year or so. And, um, most of them. Most of them, yeah, it had to be. But but beginning with uh, Pastor Kitchen, that was really something because he was here uh, like 22 years and then Pastor McGee, 20 years. Then I was a pastor for 31 years. And so what is that? That's uh, 40, uh, 70, about 73 years, just three mm. pastors. Wow. And that's unusual. Right. And, you know, so, and now Pastor Mark's been the pastor for nine years. So mm-hmm. four of us, uh, yeah. Then get the bulk of my the time. Goodness, for eighty years almost, you know. Yeah, and I think that that's something that's a, a, a might be a bad trend that's that that's going on right now in churches that these pastors are uh, almost treating it like like a business where they're jumping around uh-huh. and trying to get to the bigger church, yeah, the moving bigger up church, the corporate ladder, moving up the corporate ladder yeah. instead of being somewhere well, that, and building you know, it. That's the structure of of some denominations. Yeah, I mean, like the Methodist. Uh, they just appoint pastors, and so they start off maybe in a smaller church, and then if they do well there, they'll appoint them to be in a larger church and so forth. But I think most of the churches that you'll find that are really uh, successful, the pastor's been there a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You take First Baptist Church, you know, the pastor's been there forever, uh, and Second Baptist Church, uh, Ed Young, my goodness, he's been there, what, 40 years or more. Yeah. And and uh, it just uh, it works when the pastor's been there a long time, if he's you know if he's successful. Well, yeah. imagine it. Uh, it's a job that you're gonna need a few years to get yeah. the hang of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. And I think also there there is uh, something about laying that foundation in the church. And when you don't, when you when you go through those like pastors, six, seven pastors in six or seven years, there's not a foundation that was left because it's all constantly changing. And the next guy's coming in, he's doing a little something a little bit different. The next guy's coming in doing a little bit thing different. But when when you we see Pastor Kitson come in, he laid a foundation for people to build upon instead of starting new. You know, that's exactly right. Pastor Kitson was a was an organizer. He he uh, organized a lot of different pastors into uh, associations and so forth. He was uh, really good at that. Yeah. Um, so you was what 
around 10 years old when Pastor Kitson came came in? No, no, no. I was uh, Pastor Kitson was the pastor when I was born. Okay. Yeah. My mother joined the church in 1938. My brother was 16 months old when she joined the church, and I was born in 1941. So I started this church nine months before I was actually born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and my mother, she, you know, she was uh, the song leader, and she was the church secretary, and she was Pastor Kitson's uh, secretary, and she was a Sunday school teacher, and she was one of the prayer warriors, and she just... Boy, she she was all in. She was, you know, uh, uh, involved in all the activities of the church. She's what every ministry is looking for. Well, she she was, and it was not just her. There was others that were. But, boy, I want to tell you, uh, we never argued about whether we was going to church or not. If it was church time, we were going to church. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was kind of unusual back then, but I guess it was good. Uh, if we had a church activity and there was a school activity, uh, we went to church. Right. <laughs> you know, football games on Friday night. We didn't go to football games on Friday night because the youth met at our house and, and played volleyball and stuff. Uh, but that was just the way it was back then. You know, our, our roots were, uh, in the, in the holiness movement. And, uh, you know, you didn't cut your hair and you didn't wear makeup if you're a woman and so forth. And you didn't go to picture shows and you didn't know all that stuff, you know? Right, right. Um, so, so was it before or after? So we were kind of Magnolia Park uh, Pentecostal Church, and then Pastor Kitson moved it to Houston Gospel Tabernacle. Yes. Okay. And then when when did the split happen? Where um, what's the church that just uh, Life Tabernacle? Life Tabernacle. When yeah. did that split happen? That happened uh, just shortly before uh, Pastor Kitson. Uh, retired, and that was in 1960. Okay. So probably about 1958 or something. I'm not exactly yeah, sure about that. Around that time. Yeah. So um, that was weird because growing up, half of my family was over there, yeah. and then the other half was over here, and I, I never understood why we didn't go to church together. But the, the older I got, the when I found out that they kind of they stayed with the uh, more of the the holiness. Don't cut your hair. Don't wear makeup. Yeah. Uh, the the penny the what do you call it? The uh, UPC, UPC the yeah. UPC and then- actually uh, Pastor Kitson was in, involved in in starting the UPC oh wow and uh, matter of fact I think he was like the general secretary or something of that organization when it first got started but they got so. Um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Dogmatic. Uh, controlling okay. over churches and so forth that Pastor Kitson, as uh, a matter of fact, I, I put it in the, the book. He said, you know, uh, we don't feel like that churches. Well, let me, let me read it to you. He said, uh, freedom means exemption or liberation from the control of some other person or some arbitrary power. 
And since each one of us will be held accountable to the Lord for our own actions, it's very necessary that we have freedom to follow the dictates of our own conscience and so forth. And he talks about Martin Luther and so forth. And so uh, he started uh, another organization called the IMA or the International Ministerial Association. And um, that was a group of spirit-filled ministers and churches, but it was not anything like uh, the UPC that became so domineering, controlling of their pastors and churches and so forth. So that's kind of where... Uh, you know, our church came from. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's a sad thing because um, there is something good about a denomination where they you can bring much easier. You can bring a bunch of churches together, a bunch of the same denomination together. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, being an independent, you know, uh, as a youth pastor, I was trying to do these larger youth events. And independent churches don't want to get together, especially when we're the larger of the independent churches. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to do something over there? Well, my people are just going to go over to your church. So I'm not going to let yeah. them experience what y'all are doing over there because uh, what y'all have might be better than what we have. And we don't want, <laughs> we don't want to lose our people. Yeah. Which, and, and my, and, and what I was trying to share with them, my goal was not to take your people. My goal was to be able to share what God was able to do with us and then the things that we're able to do with your people. And you build off of that with your church. Mm-hmm. But they're right. just so scared that they're going to go down the street and experience something different and, and yeah. lose people. Well, we need we need each other. Churches need each other. And, you know, when Pastor Kitchen was here, we were part of the IMA. And that was a, a fellowship of churches, and we had fellowship with other churches that were part of that that group. When Pastor McGee came in, he took us out of that group, and we just became an independent church. And and uh, when I became the pastor here, you know, I was in the Assembly of God church for uh, seven years total, and I enjoyed the fellowship that we had with other churches and the um, conferences that you went to. And, you know, you just felt like you were part of something bigger than just your own just local church. And, man, I, I, I just really wanted to have that fellowship. I didn't like to be just an island out here. And that's when I found out about this uh, pastor's conference that was in Auburndale, Florida, uh, Pastor Maxie Thomas invited me to go to that. And when I went, it was just a, a group of independent churches that came together for fellowship. And, oh, it was so wonderful. They were singing the songs that we sang. They uh, Their uh, doctrine was very similar to what we believed and so forth. And after a couple of years of going to that, that's when the Lord told me, to do something like that here in Houston because uh, there's so many independent churches, small. Most of them are small, and they need fellowship, but they don't know where to go to get it. And so we just, that's what we did. We just started, uh, so we're going to have a a conference, I think what we called it back then, and we invited all the 
pastors that wanted to come paid their way and and god just honored that and it's still going we just celebrated 33 years of doing that and people have come from all over the, we don't have an organization it, i guess you'd call it a fellowship but there's no membership to it people right. just come because they want that fellowship and they need each other and we need to network with each other yeah. it's just just been really good really and you know that's uh it's it's funny because I go, I'll go to a different church or, mm-hmm. you know, different places. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to talking. Oh, you go to Elon church. Mm-hmm. I've been in that conference or, yeah. you know, I, I remember, you know, pastor Ron or the different yeah. things like, and it, it just really brings that, that, uh, that, that group closer together by just tying us in with something, uh, with something like that. Well, I, I would just estimate I, thousands of missionaries and pastors through the years have come and and been blessed through this we call it now a convocation you know because god says hey that's what it is i've called this i've ordained this and so that's what a convocation is but uh god's been good a lot of people have been blessed through that so we had uh brother kitson and then uh past uh Pastor Kitson and then uh, Pastor uh, McGee, McGee. Yeah. he came in after that, right, and McGee. I think I was like eight or nine years old when he um, when he resigned. He had a heart attack and he resigned, but he didn't leave the church, right? And like he stayed a part of the church because there was like, didn't he come back and kind of take control well, a little me, bit for uh, uh, for a minute? Give me a little uh, history of that, Pastor Kitson. Uh, Can you tell us what year about this is? For like me and a lot of people, uh, nineteen about nineteen fifty eight. Okay, we're in the okay. Pastor Kitchen had been there. A and long no, time. I was not born in fifty eight. <laughs> he was just here for a long time. And in nineteen fifty eight, I was seventeen years old. Okay, and Pastor Kitchen been the pastor a long time. But as a child, I always thought Pastor Kitchen was was old man. Okay. Uh, he looked old, and, and uh, as a young person, I thought, man, this guy's got to be ancient. And he was, uh, but he was only 70 years old. And to me now that I'm 80, 70, doesn't sound that old. <laughs> but he was uh, 70 years old, and a lot of people in the church felt like we need, they needed a younger pastor. And, and so they had a big, uh, I remember this very well, so they had a big, church business meeting and to vote whether they wanted to keep pastor uh, kitchen or, or get another a pastor well uh, half the people voted to keep pastor kitchen and half of them voted to get another pastor and so the ones that voted to get another pastor since they were outvoted they decided to leave and start their own church and that's where live tabernacle got started okay and the problem was for me and you families were fit were split up because my aunt lowly green and she was the mother of you know jabbo and jimmy and faye and and uh, Joyce and all of those folks, they were just young people at that time as well. But they all went with the group that left and started Life Tabernacle. But my mother stayed with Pastor Kitchen. And uh, so we stayed there, my brother Dale and myself, my sister Janine. 
and and so that's that's the way that went. But then a couple of years later, uh, Pastor Kitson decided he was going to retire, and by that time, his daughter Mordell had married this preacher from Ireland. His name was Gordon McGee. So Gordon McGee was Pastor Kitson's son-in-law, and he became the pastor. We all loved Pastor McGee because he had been there to to preach several meetings and so forth, and we just thought the guy was brilliant. I mean, and he was. He was a great, uh, great teacher, great minister. And so he became the pastor in 1960, and you know it it was during that time 1969 then that's when we moved out here to flagstone street and he you know he was instrumental in in building the building here yeah so if i remember i'm just trying to think back over that period of time pastor mcgee he was he had a pretty good discipleship program huh i mean just think about all the ministers that came out that are doing ministry or uh, really uh, stand strong in their faith came out of his ministry. Yes, uh, yes, and no. <laughs> he said yes and no. He, uh, <laughs> Pastor uh, McGee had a lot of different uh, ideas about various things. That was was he Calvinist? He was very uh, Calvinistic. He was also believed that. Uh, what they call the dead or dead. He, he taught about British Israel. There was a lot of things that, you know, when you listen to him teach, you'd think, man, this, this is right. But the problem was it didn't fit in with any other church. So if you uh, were taught by Pastor McGee, when you got out of that teaching, you didn't, you didn't fit anywhere, really. Yeah. You know, you just, it was kind of like when I felt like the Lord was moving me out of uh, Elam Church. I didn't know where to go. Yeah. Because I didn't fit with the Baptists. I didn't fit with the Assembly of God. I didn't fit with the Methodists. I didn't fit with the UPC. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. Elam was kind of a little violent of itself. Right. And so anyway, uh, I tried to change that. Well, I did change it when I became the pastor here. I said, we're not going to major on minors. I, I think that's what we were doing. <laughs> we're going to major on the minors. We're going to, I mean, major on the majors, minor on the minors. And my philosophy was we're going to agree to disagree on some stuff. Yeah, We're going to agree on the fundamental things that we believe, we all believe. And Pastor McGee believed those things. But we're not going to major on something, whether British Israel or something. And I think that's important when you talk about a larger group, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not going to get a larger group together and then everybody mm-hmm. agree on everything. No. Yeah, not it, 100%. Not 100%. You're not going to do it. And you're not going to be able to witness if you're going to just be super dogmatic about a few mm-hmm. small things. And which mm-hmm. is there's so much that we can agree on. Well, yeah. we we agree on ninety nine percent of what we what we believe. It's it's just the the little things that we disagree on. That in our church, that's why that's why our church never grew. I mean, it it, it was like one hundred and fifty people, you know, forever. And uh, and I don't know when I became. I think that's why God. Uh, caused me to 
to be part of the Assembly of God church for a while, and and I was in a Baptist church for for a year. I was a choir director and worship leader in the Baptist church for a year, and God showed me that his people are in all of these churches. <laughs> Baptist people are saved just like I am. Simply God people are saved just like we're all Christians. We're all believers in Jesus Christ. Why do we fight each other so much? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To get so, to get back to get back to uh Pastor McGee. Mm-hmm. Um so he was doing his thing here for a while, and then he resigned because of the heart attack, right? Well, he was here for 20 years. I mean, he was doing very well. And and for seven of those years, I was not here, okay? And that was, looking back, God, God directs our path. God's yeah. leading us. At the time, I didn't know that. But God was leading me. He was getting me ready to to really have a non-denominational or interdenominational church where people are welcome. I like that inner. Interdenominational. Well, non has a kind of a negative thing. We yeah. we're not against denominations. Yeah. Uh, people can come here same same way with our uh, our pastors. Uh, you know, convocation. Uh, People are. We don't ask them where they come from. We we got people from the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, whatever they come, and and we just lift up Christ. Well, it's not about it's so a denomination. Yeah, you know so what good. I'm saying? But uh, anyway, I, I lost my train of thought. No, that's, that's good because I think, especially for our church, we have a. a a lot of people that come out of the Catholic Church. Oh yeah, you know? and if we're sitting over here beating on the Catholics or beating on the Baptists, God, we wouldn't have these people that that come to our church. God's uh, God's got his people in the Catholic Church. Yeah, you for know, sure. We disagree on, uh, you know, praying to Mary and so forth and so. On, but God's got his people in the Catholic Church. Yeah, you know what what was happening when I became the pastor here. Uh, Pastor McGee was was preaching against the Catholic Church so much that no Catholic would a Catholic person would come to our church and they'd give them a booklet about why the Catholic is so wrong, you know, thinking they're going to win Catholics. When I came, one of the things. So about, that's why before I'm sorry, yeah, I don't want to interrupt yeah. you. So that's why you was talking a while ago about God preparing you because He needed to pull you out of some of that stuff to. Really trying to figure, so you can figure yeah, out, yeah, um, absolutely, the I, other I, stuff because he he was preparing you to accept a lot of these Catholics that, that were going to come. I'm absolutely convinced of that because if I never had left the church, well, I'd just be just like, yeah, everybody yeah. else that stayed. You know, uh, uh, I would not have this this love for people of all denominations and in backgrounds and so forth. But, uh, I, I remember I just started loving Catholics and I didn't preach against the Catholic church. I just preached for Jesus. Yeah. And you know what? We have communion every Sunday and a lot of Catholics come to our church cause they, they, 
they don't like the Catholic Church anymore. They, I mean, you know, they don't think they're getting what they need in the Catholic Church, but they want to go to a church where they have communion every yeah. Sunday. Well, you still see a lot of people coming in before they do. Yeah. They come oh, into yeah. the sanctuary. They're, they're, they're doing the, the sign of the cross the and all of, of that. Cross. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I bet you half the people in our church today are former Catholics. Yeah. Yeah. So – uh, get back to the transition from Pastor McGee until um, there yeah. was a couple, I would call it interims, but they wasn't well, really interims. Well, what happened there was, uh, I was not here, but I, you right. know, I, I'm very familiar with the church and so forth. And so your family was still here, but you left, right? <laughs> no, we all left. Oh, you all left. Okay. We all left and uh, kind of went to different places. But... Um, no, Pastor McGee, he had a, a massive heart attack, and he thought he could continue to be the pastor, but uh, he needed he he couldn't do it all. Pastor Hale was here as his associate, another legend. Yeah, Pastor Hale, wonderful, wonderful yeah. man, and so he was kind of carrying on, and they they brought this other fellow in whose name was Jim Brandeberry. Jim Brandyberry was a, a brilliant uh, fellow, but he was hyper Calvinist. If Pastor McGee was a Calvinist, he was he was it took it to another top, level, huh? over yeah. the top. But anyway, uh, the church just started started going down, and uh, uh, Pastor. Well, wait a minute, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. After Pastor McGee had the heart attack, he uh, appointed, well, I don't know, I guess he was elected, uh, Pastor Carol Rector became the pastor. <clears throat> pastor Carol Rector had been saved in uh, one of the revivals that we had at Houston Gospel Tabernacle, and he had become a ordained minister. Uh, he taught the adult Sunday school class at the church and so forth. And everybody loved Pastor he said, Carol. He said the Sunday school class. Uh-huh. You heard he yeah, said? I yeah. That, well, the, <laughs> they might have only had one. Yeah. Did you only have one? Well, the adult Sunday yeah, the school adult, class. They, they had don't. other Sunday school classes. But, but only one adult at that time. But the only one, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. it was like in, held in the sanctuary and it was the adult yeah. Sunday. But anyway, uh, he, he became the pastor and he uh, – was kind of overwhelmed with it. I think it was it was a little too much. Um, Pastor McGee hang, hung around and critiqued what he did, and I, I don't know all the story, but anyway, he ended up uh, resigning. So Pastor Let McGee really never went anywhere. He kind no, of just Pastor McGee had his was, thumb on Pastor stuff. Pastor McGee was still around yeah. and, and kind of overseeing things, even though. Uh, pastor rector was was the pastor but when pastor rector uh resigned then the pastor brandeberry came in and he was never elected to pastor he was just sort of kind of holding it together and if the church did well under his leadership uh I think they were going to make him the pastor but the church just kept going down and down and and uh, so after he was here for about six months, uh, they decided he decided Pastor Brandenburg decided uh, I'm not going to 
take this not working out for me. And uh, a couple of months after that is when Pastor McGee called me and asked me if uh, he felt like God was telling him that I should be the pastor here, which was a total surprise to me. But that, which is a, a great story in itself. Yeah, great. And then and that was 1982. Yeah. yeah. Um. So how did that how did that transition go? And did Pastor McGee did he kind of back off a, a little bit and let you well, take uh, it or? Pastor McGee was very, very uh, cordial to me and very uh, good. He he himself said, "Look, I, I feel like I've made a mistake with Pastor Rector, with Pastor Rector, and uh, I'm not going to do that with you." He said, "I'm wow. going I'm going to move to San Marcos, and if you need me, uh, I'll be there to help you any way I can, but." Uh, I'm not going to try to supervise you or micromanage what's going on, you know. You, and I, I appreciated that because I said, man, i got to do my thing. i got to do it my way. And and that's what I did. And, so now being on both ends of that, so mm-hmm. you've had a pastor pass that down to you, yes, and sir. you've passed that down to another pastor. Do you feel like that you would do stuff differently now that you've done you've been on both ends uh you know i've tried to be supportive very supportive of, of pastor mark and i told him that yeah you done when, a great when job. i came over i said look pastor mark uh, uh i want to be the best member you have and and I, I don't. I, I understand what it would be like if I'm trying to tell you everything to do. And I don't want you to feel that pressure. And so, uh, tell you the truth, I haven't been to a board meeting and I hadn't been to a staff meeting in in nine years because I did not want to uh, for Pastor Mark to feel like I was trying to tell him what to do. And I think it's worked out. I think it's worked out well. Uh, because our church is is still uh, doing well. I mean, right, uh, and it's been through some tough times. I mean, this COVID thing for two years. I, I just have to give Pastor Mark, uh, uh, you know, great uh, honor for keeping things going the way he has. And yeah, seems like know, seemed like we're coming out of it now. You yeah. know, and I've been in you know I've been in private meetings with just me and him. You yeah. know, and it's it was a weight, you know, mm-hmm. it was a weight on him of what decisions to make when and people are in his ear telling him you have to keep the church going. And, you know, the county's in his ear telling him and you need to shut the church down. Yeah. And, and uh, so I mean, it was a, a huge weight. And for him, one thing that I mean, I respect Pastor Mark with everything that I have. Yeah. But one thing that I really respect about him is he's prayerful about all this stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. he spends time in prayer and he just went through, you know, 90 days of fasting and a hundred or something days, you know, just, mm-hmm. just to make sure that he heard from God, that he was doing the right thing. And, um, so there's no question about it that he's very, uh, sincere and seeks God. And, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate all of that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we always agree with every decision, right? That just, I mean, but we know that well, he, I, whatever I, decision he's making, he's coming from a, a prayerful place. And if a, I want to be totally honest with you, it's not easy. 
after you've been the pastor for 31 years yeah. just to back off and and you know uh not have any input in what's going on that's why i ask you if you would do yeah. things different because i know Sometimes we want to give somebody so much space, mm-hmm. but as as a young minister, sometimes I was wishing that somebody would have been a, there a little bit more and for a little bit more guidance. Well, uh, you know, maybe looking, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I, I, I know that's a tough question to put you on the spot on. Yeah, because he's going to be listening to <laughs> and it's all in love, you know. We're just I, trying to trying to look I back. I love Pastor Mark, yes, and, and I think he's done a, a great job. Um, would I have done some things different? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I didn't want to be the one telling him this is the way you need to do it. Of course, we're different. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, that's as far as I go with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we'll just keep on moving. We'll have that. We'll have that uh, private conversation. About it. <laughs> uh, that was a tough one to put no, you on the spot. I, I don't want that to sound like yeah. Know, no, for sure. Problem. Well, I'm, we I'm, no. Y'all, y'all have done. You've done well. Y'all have done absolutely wonderful. Um, and and then every pastor that ever comes here uh, talks about the transition and stuff. And, yeah. uh, well, we really worked on it. He worked on it too. Yeah. I mean, it works both ways. It's not easy. It's not easy to transition from being, uh, the father figure to being the grandfather figure. Have you read the book from, uh, yeah. Uh, uh Dr. I've Come read, a, I read a couple of them. Uh, Ron Bishop wrote Ron one. Bishop. I just ordered that book Did off you? of Amazon for my father, for my yeah. father. Uh, and it's it's about transitioning a, from being a, a father figure in a church like I was for thirty one years to now being a grandfather. Is there a grandfather in the in the and, in the house? And there needs to be grandfathers in the house. Yeah. You know, we can't just go from uh okay, uh now we just have a all young people in yeah. the church. Okay, and now we're going to promote the youth pastor and yeah, yeah, yeah. go. Yeah, yeah that's you can't it. Do that. you, you, uh-huh. you need all those. Yeah. You need fathers. You need grandfathers. You need uh, children. And that's one of the things that, and we're kind of getting into your era, era right now. In 1992, yeah. you kind of taken over the church. Um, one of the first big hires you hired was investing into the the youth right you hired children's pastors uh youth pastors you thought that was important for the church moving forward well when i came here you know the church was really at a low ebb Uh, it was only 70 people in service the first sunday i was here and a lot of them left there wasn't nobody on sunday night and wednesday night and uh the sunday school was way low the not much of a youth program, children's program, and so forth. I I just decided if we're going to have a a church, a growing church, we need to have something uh, excellent for all age groups. We we need a children's pastor. We need a youth pastor. We need somebody for the senior citizens and so forth. So I I put it on our advertisement. This is a family-oriented church. And so the first thing I tried to do was uh, find somebody to be the children's pastor. And, uh, of course, it was all volunteers. But as soon as I could, we started paying them a little bit. Who was the first children's pastor you hired? 
I can't I can't remember the first one I I hired. Uh it's not have been around very long. Must not have been very good. No, yeah. no, <laughs> no. pretty unforgettable. Jeez. We, He's we, really made his mark in this church. We had we had several, but talk to me about the youth and I can tell you a little more about it. Yeah. Uh Who's the first children pastor you can remember? I know you're 80, so some of the it doesn't uh, come back as uh, Yeah, David can relate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, Christina's been here so long. I get, well, you had Mark McEwen before him. Yeah, yeah Mark. Yeah, Mark. And yeah, then you before had, him, you had, uh, was that you had my, my cousin. Um, oh, you don't remember your Baldwin. cousin's name? Philip Baldwin. Yeah, Philip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bef- before him. But I well, I feel like I'm in a room with just the him, oldest yeah. people. <laughs> just both of y'all can't remember uh, anybody's name. Philip. And I'm useless. Was Philip before Mark or after Mark? Philip was before Mark. Tell okay. you what. Philip did a great job. Yeah. Philip did a wonderful job. And then so did Mark. Mark McEwen did a wonderful job. Yeah, those And they stayed here a long time. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I know the Ten Commandments because of a message that Pastor Mark preached yeah. in a uh, kid's church. Yeah. Uh, Kidwell was the guy I'm trying to think okay. of. Brother Kidwell yep. was before that. Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, I forgot totally about him. Yeah, yeah. him and his family, and he did good job. Well, I, was, I left. My, my mom started having some uh, health issues, so we went to the Baptist church for maybe four or five years because they had a bus. Yeah. And they would come by, and they would pick us up and take it to the Baptist church, and then we came back when I was preteen. But we had a... a Kind of a, I don't know, uh, a small youth group. But I decided we needed a youth pastor. And uh, so I went out to, they used to have a Bible college out off of uh, the old Beaumont Highway and Oats Road there. Your old stomping grounds. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, Church of God, Pentecostal Church of God, Bible College and so forth. So I went out there and uh, interviewed uh, three students at that Bible college. And to make a long story short, Paul Owens was one of those students, and he just impressed me very, very much. And so we hired him on a part-time basis while he's going to college uh, to be our, our youth pastor. And then after he graduated, he stayed on as a youth pastor and married Kim and and, and that they was were both, late 80s uh yeah probably mid 80s because I started being the pastor in 82 and so it wasn't too long after that that Paul came because he was my youth pastor he was my yeah. first youth pastor yeah, yeah yeah and he's he was here for quite a while yeah I love yeah. I love Paul and Kim Paul, they, did a, they just did a great job I, I really thought that Paul would eventually become the pastor but I wasn't ready to yeah. resign for a long early. time, and he wasn't re- <laughs> he wasn't ready to wait all that time. You always, Pastor, you always had a vision for for the young people. Yeah, you, you always did. You you brought Kim in to do uh, lead mm-hmm. worship. Yeah, you know, and that was kind of bringing the you know the the younger person in to kind of do the some of the newer music and different things mm-hmm. like that. Um, uh, so I, you all, you always had that in mind. Always had that. Let's talk about some of the the milestones of your pastoralship. 
of buying land and, and building buildings. Well, God was, you know, to God be all the glory, but somebody's got to have somebody's a vision. Yeah. Somebody's got to be the leader and so forth. And and the church started growing, 1982 started growing, and so we went to two services, and both services were pretty well full. They say if you, if you have 80% of your church full you're full you know you can't you're not going to have a hundred percent it's uncomfortable and and you got to have parking especially pentecostal people because they eat too much (laughs) well it's just not going to (laughs) work if you get 80 percent of your if if your church uh you know seats a hundred people if you get 80 people in there, you're full. Cause, like they say, your, yeah. your goldfish yeah. will get as big as the bullets in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Same, di- same thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we were, you know, we were 80% full and so forth. And it was pretty obvious that, that we needed to, if we were going to keep growing, we had to enlarge. And I, I went, uh, everybody in this, in the Pasadena in this area, we're moving out to Fairmont Parkway because that's where all the Anglo's were going, and all the churches, Anglo churches, was going out that way. And so I went out there looking for land and so forth, and it was so expensive, and I didn't know what to do. And so anyway, I I began to pray about it and seek the Lord about it, and and I found out that the, the land behind the church was available. We had one acre, and uh, so I could buy another acre. That would double our size. I thought, well, my goodness, you know, that'll that'll, that'll be plenty. That'll be good. It took us 80 years to get this far. Well, you know, uh, that ought to last us for another. So uh, we bought an acre and uh, with an uh, uh, option to buy the other three acres and, and the old nightclub that was on that. Anyway, I don't know how much you want me to go into all that, but God, it's been a miracle kind of a thing. We 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 did that. We bought the acre, and then we took the option on buying the other three acres over there with the nightclub and so forth. And my my idea was we'd build a new sanctuary in between the two. The, you know what's now our youth building and our children's building. But we didn't have enough parking, and I could not get the permits to do that. And I the worked. Lord, Lord was telling you your vision was too small. Yeah, it was too small. I yeah. didn't. I thought, you know, I guess it was too small. Yeah. Because, but anyway, during that nine months of trying to get the permit to build a building, we even had uh, plans for a building. We we're going to hook it all together. Wow. Uh, I found out that uh, the. Nine point ten point seven acres over here on this side was available, which I'd uh, if I'd have went ahead and built that building over there, we'd have never had near enough room, and uh, that's another whole miracle. But uh, we paid a hundred thousand dollars for one acre over here. Then we paid three hundred and thirty thousand dollars for that other uh, three acres in that that building. So $430,000 we paid over here. Four acres with the uh, and, with, and with they the wanted, on it. They yeah. wanted 500000 for the land over here where we are now. Ten acres. Yeah, 10.7 acres. Of course, that, that included the easement back there. 
But anyway, uh, long story short, we ended up buying this land for a hundred thousand. What I'd paid for one acre over there, paid for ten point seven acres over here. It's just a miracle. Yeah, I know we don't have time to go into all that, but God had been so good. And then we built, we built the new sanctuary, uh, and then. Uh, it was time to more Sunday school space and nursery space and so forth. So we built what we called the Nelson Wing, and we called it the Nelson Wing because one of the ladies, a long, long time member of Houston Gospel Tabernacle, in her will, she uh, willed about two hundred thousand dollars to the church, and so we used that money along with you know. It cost a million dollars to do that, but we, in honor of her, we call that the Nelson Hall, and it's just been good. God's yeah. been good. Yeah. What do you, when you look back on ministry, um, where do you see that your your greatest successes have been? I think uh, God's used me as a as a teacher. More than anything else, I was out at Monument Sunday. I went over there to eat, <laughs> and when we got ready to pay our bill, uh, the the waiter said, "You don't know anything. Somebody paid your bill, and that uh, that's wonderful when that happens. <laughs> it don't happen much, by the way. Whoever's listening to this, I sure would be nice, <laughs> but." <laughs> No, and uh, he said, you know, he didn't tell me who it was, but then he kind of, you know, motioned with his, it was that lady over there. And so I went over to talk to this lady, and uh, she had been a member of our church. She she hadn't been here now in, in quite a few years, but... She said that she just remembered that I taught her basically everything she knows about the Bible, and she just wanted to thank me for that and so forth. And I hear that quite a bit because I did do a lot of uh, teaching in the 31 years that that I was here. I think God gave me a gift to do that. Yeah. I think one of of your greatest things that you do is you're such an encourager. Uh, I just know in my life, you was always speaking things in my life before they happened. Mm-hmm. When I was a young minister preaching, there's a preacher, there's a preacher, there's a preacher. <laughs> yeah. um, there, you know, and then when I went from that to really trying to think about being your pastor, then there's a pastor. And you begin to speak it into my life and speak it into my life. And it just really encouraged me and, and to build me up. Okay. I can do this, you know. I, I I do have the the God has given me the ability to step into this this next part of my life because you were speaking those things in my life, and well, and some people some people do love out of overflow, and some people love just the love. If we have time, I will love you. If we have time, I will stop and help you change your tire on the side of the road. If we have time, that's all out of overflow. If if we have some overflow, we'll give. Yeah. 
you don't do that. You do that because you, it's a calling on your life and you love people. Uh, even if you don't have time, you don't have to wait yeah. until the overflow. I, I think if you're going to be successful as a pastor, you really have to love people. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I love, I love, uh, a guy like Randy Caldwell, I mean, the guy's a great preacher. You know, we love to hear him preach and so forth. But he'll say, I just don't like people. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. seriously. He, and I, I keep thinking, well, man, if you don't love people, don't talk bad about my people. I love these people. Right. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it, it upsets me when pe- pastors get up there or preachers get up there and start Bad mouth in uh, your church, man. Mm-hmm. This is God's church. Yeah. <laughs> Give my life to this church. Don't be talking about my people. You know, I love people. People, none of us are are perfect, yeah. for sure. But you know, you were talking about encouraging people. Uh, I think it's important. I remember when Pastor McGee called me and. And uh, said he felt like God called me. I, I knew God called me to pastor a church. I just didn't know it was going to be Elam. But I knew I was called to pastor a church. And when he called and God made it very, very real to me and, and that I was going to pastor this church. Uh, I remember my cousin, who was a pastor of a, a big Pentecostal church in town, and we were going somewhere, and I told him, you know, God's called me to be the pastor of uh, Elam Church. And he said, I give you about two years, maybe three years, but you ain't going to make it. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm telling you, I still remember that. I remember that vividly, that somebody would say that to you. And I, I went to talk to my brother at the Houston Chronicle. And I told him, I said, uh, Dale, you know, Pastor McGee has called me and, and uh, said that he felt like God's called me to be the pastor here. And what do you think about that? And my brother said, well, you've been successful as a, a choir director in high school and you've been successful at this and, and uh, you'll be successful at that. And he said, if God called you, you're going to be successful at it. And he said, I'll tell you one thing. I will be there to help you. How, I'm sorry, how, how much of a blessing has it been to have him, him in your corner through all these years? You know, my brother is uh, my hero. Yeah, one of my heroes too. Yeah, he's faithful. Yeah. And uh, when he says he's going to do something, he'll do it. And it's been a great blessing, you yeah. know, and. Whatever he does, he does with excellence. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people see you getting emotional there, and you yeah. kind of get me a little bit emotional too. I think a lot of people see you as the face of, of Elam throughout the years, but people don't see people like Brother Dell that's yeah. been behind you uh, yeah. doing everything that he can do to make you successful so Elam can be successful. That, that is true. And he's got a lot of, you know, this is the way it is. He's got a lot of gifts that I don't have. you got a lot of gifts I don't have. James got a lot of gifts I don't have. We're going to reach people uh, just like Jimmy, our, you know, our building superintendent. 
He's reaching people I'll never reach. Yeah. yeah. I'm reaching people he'll never reach. That's right. That's why we're all so vital. We're all so important. That Pastor Mark's message Sunday was great. Yeah. You know, we need a, we need a teamwork. And, and, of course, the Bible says that, you know, every... Every member of the body is is vital, whether you see them or not. They're vital, yeah. and I've learned that to be true so much. Pastor, just one. It's a key role, but it's it's not the only role. Right, yeah, pastor can't be successful unless he's got good team. You know. So going back to the whole kind of the theme of your ministry, always looking to. Uh, to the younger people, right? You, when you got hired, you, you thought it was important children's church. When you got hired, you thought it was important to build the youth. And, you, and over the years, we we've we have some of the we don't have the largest youth, we don't have the largest uh, children, but we have an effective programs in both of those areas. And uh, you started getting a little older. You, you still had that same mindset in, in place where you thought, well, maybe I'm not in the position now that I can still reach the, the younger generation. And you decided to stay, take a step back and, and turn the church over to Pastor Mark. Um, how how was that whole, you know, transition and, and kind of what's leading up to that transition? How was that for you? See, you put me on the spot here again, man. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and you know, I, I mean, I, you don't have really, to tell you the. the, the no, you know, the, I, I'll tell you, it, it was a tough, a tough, tough decision. Yeah, because there's going to be but, other pastors and, and, and uh, ministry leaders that are going to be listening. I, I, you know, sometimes I still question myself because I love to preach. Yeah, I still have an anointing on my life. I really do. Oh, for sure. And uh, you know, I feel like I could do it as well as I ever could do it. On the other hand. Uh, I feel like I am old. In my mind, I don't feel old, but I am old. You know, I mean, it's just the way it is. I'm 80 years old, and I don't identify with uh, kids like in younger folks. Man, when I get out there on Sunday and I see all the young couples and the young people in in, in that second service, uh, I'm just thrilled because that's, man, that's great. Because you see a lot of churches, and it's all old folks, and when they die, the church dies. That's yeah. not gonna, that's not happening here. Right. Yeah. And I'm thrilled with that. But I don't like the music. Yeah. I, I'm just being honest. That's we have a preference on on what we like. Yeah. And uh, so I guess it's good that I'm not. The one in charge, because yeah. but you be, did you did the same thing, right? You brought oh, yeah. drums in the church. You oh, brought yeah. Kim Owens a lead, which she was a little bit more edgier than the, yeah. the people before. So it's kind of a, one of those. Well, I mean, our church has always been that way. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had great music ever since I can remember. I yeah. mean, and and uh, certainly I was part of that. You yeah. know, back in the day, it was. Uh, Andre Crouch and yeah. and Lanny Wolf and all those songs, you know, Baptist Church singing hymns and we're singing choruses and stuff. I, I tell Sandra all the time when when I get to that area in my life, just remind me <laughs> when I was younger, you know, that I was part of that yeah. whole movement. You know? Hey, let me let me clarify. I don't want the people to think I don't like their music. I I, I mean, I love I love our worship team and yeah. the second oh, service. For sure. 
I, I just uh, I like to sing songs that I'm more familiar mm-hmm. with. I can worship, and that's just the way it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I don't shut up because I don't want those. <laughs> no, I that, don't want those people to think I don't love them and and appreciate them because they do a great job. Yeah, I don't think anybody. I just don't know the music. Right. I, I don't know their songs. I mean, it's, so. it, it is. It's a. It's a. Uh, it's a generational thing. It's yeah. nothing that you know. I think um, what's your cousin that has the the um, uh, the church in in Austin? Um, yeah. Uh, Rex Johnson. Rex Johnson. You know, he 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 said something one time that just made me think, and it just is burning mm-hmm. in my mind because, in just in case one day that I get there, um, he was just like he was up in the front of the church. You know, he was worshiping, and they're playing this new modern music, yeah. and he was just like, "What is this stuff? Yeah. Who can worship to this? You know, yeah. we need to get back to playing some of that right, older yeah. music." And he turned around, and he seen his whole church crying and lifting of hands and worshiping to God. Mm-hmm. And he said he just repented right there. I do. I've had the same experience, you know. You know? So it's just one of those things. It's a generational I thing. I think we all have preferences. And, and I think uh, people say that whatever you really enjoyed in your late teens and early 20s, that's what you're going to like the rest of your life, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, I tell and, my and, kids, that ain't real rap. Yeah, you know that's yeah. not real rap. Was in the nineties. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't. I don't get to rap. You know, I, I don't. I don't get it. But uh, anyway, and I understand that. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to play this grandfather role. Yeah. and it's important. Like, but you they said. need to. They need to listen to some of this old folks sometime. Play a song I like. You know? A, and you know, I've talked to Pastor Caesar about it, and he he he's he's done it here. Mm-hmm. More recently, where yeah. he kind of ties a, a new song and an old song in together, and when he does that, I mean, it goes well, off, man. That's, a, that's what you mm-hmm. well, Caesar. That's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all just, just just throw a little crumb in there for us old folks once in a while. Uh, yeah, no, funny. I'm telling you, but some of those songs, once you get to know them, I mean, great songs. Yeah, some of them are great, great songs. songs. And yeah. you know, the, the funny thing about it is, the older I get, you know, when when Brother Stacy will pull out a hymn, I'm just yeah. like, oh, that's so good. Uh-huh. Which 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, man, I we're going to listen to this yeah. hymn again. But now I'm just loving them because I guess I'm getting well, to that age where are, I'm a hymn lover now. Well, those yeah, hymns there, are, are like uh, the Bible. I mean, you know, you learn the hymn, you, you've learned the Word of God. You, but you know that, you know, um, we're singing modern day hymns now. Yeah, I mean the the songs yeah. that we sing now, fifty years from now, will be a hymn Probably to the so, next yeah. generation. Yeah. You know those generations exactly. So, well, Pastor, we want to save uh, Pastor Mark's seg- segment for Pastor Mark. So uh, good. That's why I was just trying to just you know the transition and all those things, and you know you just really had the vision for the next generation, and I appreciate that. Um, so many, so many pastors. Uh, they're going to die on their 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 platform, and then they're not going to have the vision to turn it over to the next generation. So, the, you know, the worst thing that I see in in culture right now is churches being tore down because they built it off of a, a face. Mm-hmm. They built it off of them, and when they died, the church died, and they didn't have the vision enough to to send it to the next generation. Well, that's one thing that I prayed and prayed. Oh God, don't don't let that happen to Elam. 
when you put your whole life into something and and you don't want it to you don't want it to you know die you want it to thrive you want it to grow you want that'd be the greatest thing that ever happened if if the church just continues to grow and i i just had a little part of it yeah yeah. Well, 30, 30 plus, yeah. 30, 30, 30 something years. <laughs> well, it's part been of it. 40 years now that I've been either pastor or pastor emeritus. Yeah. So, That's yeah. 40%. A lifetime. Yeah. yeah. A lifetime. And, of course, for that, it was 40 years that I was about 33 of those years. You know, I was either the choir director or I was a youth pastor and all You're that contributing. Kind of stuff yeah. growing up. So I've been here. Most of my life. Well, Pastor, I love you. I love you too. I appreciate man. you, man, and everything that you've done and everything that you continue to do. Uh, we all love you around here, so I thank you for your service. I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. Yeah. And and honestly, from my heart, I love I love this church. I yeah. love the people in this church. All right. Well, thank you for stopping by today. All right, man. Yeah. <laughs> Refuge Project.